Thank you for joining us today for the ministry of the word at Foundation Church. We pray that what you hear today will be as much of a blessing for you as it was for the people of our congregation. Greetings in the name of the most holy and great God. Um, Let us... I am all kinds of messed up. I apologize. Let us come with joy and thanksgiving to worship our God. Please remain standing for the call to worship from Psalm 47. To the choir master, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Clap your hands, O all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord the Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves, Selah. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shield of the earth belongs to God. He is highly exalted. So let us pray. Lord, we are gathered here today to praise your name, lest the stones cry out, for you are worthy of all glory and honor. Lord, we are a foolish people, sometimes speaking where we should be silent and remaining silent when we should speak. But we know that as we are here with one heart and mind, you will be here with us and you will hear us. Receive our worship, Lord, and may your face shine upon us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. All right. Uh, please remain standing, and I'll read a portion of the psalm, and then, um, then we'll pray. Uh, from uh, Psalm 33, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him, because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Let's pray. Lord, I'm incredibly glad and humbled to be given the chance once again to bring the word of God to your people and not just any part of your people, Lord, but Foundation Church, where I and the rest of my family have been planted. And by God's, by your grace, I've been able to live mostly peaceably among uh, the people of Foundation Church for 20 or more years. And regardless of what the next 20 years bring, Lord, I pray that we'll uh, be able to live thankfully and peaceably through them, Lord. Bless the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, You may be seated. So today I'm going to preach from Psalm 33, and we'll start in verse 1. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Here we read that praise befits the upright, and we're reminded that joy and praise should be the regular mode of the Christian something that we are well accustomed to, 
and something that is deeply right. Because something that befits you is not merely an optional feature, something that we may do now and again, but it is something that you cannot or should not live without. Just as it would be strange to see a football team without jerseys, cleats, and pads, or to see a head of state without a suit, praise is a feature of the life of the saints that is part and parcel of what it means to be a saint. And as such, perhaps there is something to the idea that worship is warfare, not merely a relating of facts or a spiritual pep rally, but if praise is truly befitting, then a bunch of saints together praising God ought to be a very powerful thing. There must be something deeply right about it that resonates not just with us, but even with the image of God residing in those outside of the the grace of God outside of the church. For as we know, some are not near to God with their hearts, and for those plotters against the Almighty, he laughs. And yet, if God is willing, the ungodly will turn from their wicked ways and be saved. I certainly was. And as we know, no one has ever come to be upright or righteous by their own choice, but by the will of God are we made his people. And by becoming his people, we are happy to do all things to glorify our creator through praising him. Verse 2 and 3. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. On September 14, 1814, a man named Francis Scott Key was a captive aboard a British vessel with a friend whose release he had managed to negotiate. Uh, Francis and his friend, Dr. William Beans, were ordered to stay aboard the British vessel until the British attack upon Fort McHenry in Baltimore, Maryland, had concluded. After 24 hours of sustained bombing and strenuous fighting against the entrenched Americans holed up in Fort McHenry, the British gave up and released the two prisoners. And upon seeing the American flag still waving over Fort McHenry, despite the onslaught of the British, Francis would pen a few lines of what would later become our national anthem, writing, O say, can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming? This was the heart song of Francis as he beheld his symbol of hope, a symbol of safety and normalcy, and whatever else it meant for him. Perhaps it meant that not all the men inside the fort, some of whom he may have known, had died, or it stood for the preservation of an idea of America, which he and many had come to know and love. But regardless of what it evoked, Francis decided to string words together, pulling them out of thin air, as it were, and arranging them in an order which managed to properly capture his feelings on that day. Sing to him a new song. Francis had done just that, And at the risk of sounding like an America fanboy, I will tell you that if this song is playing and is accompanied by cymbals, uh, drums, and trumpets, and blaring, um, well, I don't know if you can hear it while I'm describing it, but it has given me goosebumps in the past hearing them say, you know, Oh, say does that star-spangled banner yet wave. Um, And yet... Despite all that and the goosebumps and 
the feelings that may evoke. The Lord warns us just a few verses later in Psalm 33 that the king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. The Lord is sovereign. He reigns, and it is because of his strong right hand that we are delivered. He writes history, sets up kings, tears down nations, all due to his good pleasure. And so, no song should ever be absent the Lord's name in our remembrance of victories, salvations, close calls, etc., lest we worship the creature rather than the creator. And thus, I'm pretty sure that Francis didn't write the perfect song. It seems sadly absent of the name of the Lord. But he did write a new song, and one that we're all familiar with. God used him to pull words out of thin air and string them together using his God-given talent. And sadly, man in his incredible ability to suppress the truth is silent on the one who wrought the victory. Many apologies to Francis. May he rest in peace if I have missed some hidden reference to the Lord. But if I have not, this is a sterling example of man missing the whole point in despite of all that man in despite of all that managing to create something that has and will last for generations. Song is exalted speech, and speech is the thing that holds everything together. Contracts, business deals, marriage vows, restraining orders, verdicts in a court of law, all of these are just speech. And God wants us to bring our speech to the next level, as it were, as we behold his uprightness, righteousness, truth, and beauty. And as evidenced by the Psalms themselves, God does delight in old songs, But from time to time, it seems, someone being inspired inspired to write an entirely new song uh, brings a special kind of delight to the Lord. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. And now we are given some reasons why, why we should be singing the new song, making melodies with instruments and shouting for joy. Because in the midst of a crooked generation, the Lord is upright, And in the midst of the unfaithful, all of God's work is done in faithfulness. And let us not forget this when we are struggling. We think it's funny when a man like Tim Yarbrough, who many of you know, some of you don't, um, is constantly being deliberately thankful. And it is. It's it's funny. It's weird. Um... We are expecting pity parties or gossip or perhaps at least a little complaining. Um, But apparently, as we've witnessed many times, this is not his demeanor. And a man like Tim Yarbrough stands out because what he's doing is so radical and so different from uh, most people that you meet. Somehow it's hard for us to hold these three truths together in our mind at the same time. Number one... God loves me, and all those who call on the name of the Lord. Number two, God controls all things, and still, things that I consider bad will happen to me and those I love. And, number three, I ought to be thankful in all things. We can grab a couple of these things easily, like God loves me, and all those that call on his name, 
and God controls all things, and, and still things that I consider bad will happen to me and those that I love. That's easy. We complain, we gossip, we backbite, we get despondent, all while holding two of these three things that I mentioned in mind, but omitting the third, remembering that we ought to be thankful. Or we can join the godless masses and be thankful and grateful for everything, omitting the name of God, and turn into a Gary V type character, just constantly talking about the importance of gratitude. Never mind gratitude toward what or whom, you just got to be grateful. And he's right, sort of, but in a perverted way which misses the mark and dismisses that there is a God who loves us and is in control of everything, and bad things still happen, and we ought to be thankful. If you don't know who Gary V is, that's okay. He's a uh, entrepreneurial guy who just constantly likes to talk about gratitude, but I'm pretty sure he doesn't know who or what he's grateful for, too. Um, all of God's work is done in faithfulness, all of it, and we're left without excuse. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. God loves righteousness and justice. We sometimes fear it. Because we know that if we are judged rightly, we won't be able to stand before God. And therefore, who are we to judge? Let them without sin cast the first stone, after all. And how, if we do this, can we possibly stand against those whom the Bible says are the enemies of God and of righteousness, those who would seek to woo and impress us with the transient pleasures of sin? God is merciful. And as the book of James says, mercy triumphs over judgment. And yet Jesus drove people out of the temple with a whip. He did not condemn their souls to hell, as far as we know. He did not kill them. He did not, as far as we know, hold bitterness in his heart against these people whom he drove out of the temple. He simply and merely made a whip and drove them out of the temple forcibly, condemning loudly and without mincing words, their actions, which had made his father's house a house of merchandise. I'm not saying that this is the proper course of action toward usurpers and interlopers, but I'm not not saying it is the proper course of action either. And whether or not anyone wants to take up uh, reed weaving in the near future to make a whip, the point is that somehow this was mercy triumphing over judgment, albeit in a manner which we are fairly unaccustomed to and potentially uncomfortable with. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spake, and it came to be. He commanded, and it, st it stood firm. He commanded and it stood firm. This is perhaps one of the most astonishing things about our God. We think that it's amazing when some sections of an ancient city remain standing for 500 or even 1,000 years. We stand in awe of the pyramids, the Sphinx, or Gobekli Tepe, all of which have managed to remain some, something of their original, uh, maintain something of their original form and artistry, although much of it has been reduced to piles of rocks and dust. And these represent the absolute pinnacle of humanity and our ability to create something that will stand firm. 
However, now we have ascended to the age of the skyscraper, which may, I'm told, be indefinitely maintained, in theory, maintaining its structural soundness indefinitely. However strong the skyscrapers may be and however solid the geological surveys that took place to, uh, prior to breaking ground, there are other factors at play which again reveal the strong hand of God and the feeble hand of man struggling to take dominion. War, famine, civil unrest, the shifting tides of the economy, making it more or less fashionable to live in certain areas, can and likely will turn our precious skyscrapers into cum- crumbling nightmares at some point in the future. We've all seen the abandoned malls that dot the landscape of most cities. They're still standing, but only because it makes slightly more sense to leave them rather than demolish them. But no one is fawning over them anymore. They are sad reminders of man's shifting caprice and the whims of the markets. And yet, God sets the stars in place in the heavens. He controls the winds and the seasons and does all by the counsel of himself. The three in one, the one in three, existing in perfect peace and perfect unity from all eternity. If our greatest works of today are still standing in 1,000 years, will we congratulate ourselves alone? Will we marvel at the engineers and the construction workers who made something to stand firm? Or will we recognize that it is not the steel, I-beams, and intelligence alone that allows anything to stand for 100, let, let alone 1,000 years. And therefore kneel and pray in thankfulness to he who hangs the stars in the heavens. Man in his own wisdom is reticent to bow, puffed up as we often are. But God himself stooped and became as one of us so that we might live with him forever. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. God does not delight in frustrating the plans of his people. In fact, we know that, paraphrasing from Psalm 2, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but that his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in the law shall he meditate day and night. And therefore he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, which brings forth its fruit in its season. And his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. So is the person in whom God delights. But according to Psalm 2, if man sets himself against God, and against his decree, and his holy order, God will laugh at that man, and mock that man, and have them broken into pieces like a potter's vessel. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Unlike men who merely do our best, cast our lot, pray, and try to be thankful with the outcomes of providence, God is able to make history itself just as easily as we construct a home or city or skyscraper. Many a cautionary tale has been woven telling of the man who got his own way for a day or for a year. Tales of what it would be like to play God. When undoubtedly our finite ability to grasp things like time and space, problems like information and attention. um, How could one being have so much attention all at once? 
even though our minds are capable of taking in a staggering amount of data simultaneously, we would crumble under the load of the stream of consciousness of just a few families, let alone a few states, countries, or nations. And yet, God's bandwidth is intact. He isn't running low on attention. No matter how much the stakes are seemingly raised, and no matter what the scope is, God is never hanging by a thread, barely making it through the excruciating circumstances of wickedness taking place on this earth. That simply is not the case. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and we, like the remnants of Sodom and Gomorrah, can pray that we are either removed before its destruction, or that indeed our land might be saved despite its great wickedness. And wow, that went fast. That's, that's what I've got for us today, guys. Um, I do want to read the psalm, all of Psalm 33, because I'm sure um, I want to leave you with the psalm in its entirety, because I'm sure I've missed a lot, and I did my best, but um, I wish it was about twice as long, but hey, it's not. So, I'm going to read Psalm 33, and then um, we'll move on in worshiping. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spake and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not saved by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. Let's pray. God, thank you for upholding us with your strong and firm hand. Please continue to do so despite our wickedness in so many ways. Thank you for forgiving your people and calling us righteous. Help us to turn from wickedness and to love you with all of our hearts, that we may not be ashamed to behold your appearing, but be excited and look forward to your coming. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. I pray your time with us was very encouraging. If it was, consider sending us a note and also consider partnering with us.